1: You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food
2: retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.
3: Hello. Welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. Washed rind cheeses are divisive. People either love them or loathe them. This week on A Slice of Cheese, we talked to pioneering washed rind cheesemaker Bill Oglethorpe of Capa in Dairy, Irish cheesemaker Jana Ferguson of Gobine Cheese, Penny Nagel and Marcus Ferguson of Feltham's Farm, creators of the wonderfully named Renegade Monk, and Dan Bliss, cheese buyer for Paxton and Whitfield.
2: Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the
1: crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, Petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers.
3: This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're looking at washed rind cheese. I'm very happy to have with me today someone who's been a key figure in the world of British washed-rind cheeses, Bill Oglethorpe of Capricazing Dairy in Bermondsey. Good morning, Bill.
4: Hi. How are you?
3: I'm good, thank you. Bill, I wanted you on this show because you know you are so experienced in the sort of the world of washed-rind cheeses. Now perhaps we should start. Let me say to you, what what is a washed-rind cheese? How how is it made?
4: Well, it's basically washing a cheese with salty water. That's enhances a certain type of bacteria to grow so it makes a fertile environment then it, and they mainly see bacteria or we also used to call them bac brevi linens mm-hmm. and um yeah, they grow when you when you wash them with salty water they just so in, you're making in an environment.
3: environment okay so they're in the environment and then yeah. by washing the cheese which literally is i mean you have to it's wiping the cheese isn't it i mean with with you
4: know you aren't washing it basically you wipe it with with yeah, water
3: so with other we can be with Alcohol, you can't be with, can with booze as well, can't you? Is that right?
4: Yeah, I, I looked into that. Generally, that comes towards the end. I guess ah. the, 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 the problem with booze is that, I, or alcohol, is that it, um, it has a disinfecting quality, so it would reduce the range of bacteria. So, my impression is, I don't know if everyone does it, but generally, that's done at the end, right? After the bacteria has done its job, then you get the flavour of the alcohol at the end.
3: So sort of brine washing first, and that brine is literally encouraging the bacteria that you want to grow. And these, I mean, washed-rind cheeses often have, they're quite characteristic, are they? Often they have that sort of sticky, orangey-red appearance. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I learned recently that it's sea bacteria. So the sea bacteria is, is everywhere in the environment. It's just bringing them to life on the cheese. And the the, the, the range of bacteria is, is quite impressive. I, at um, Bronwyn's conference, we saw um, some slides of, of all the different bacteria that are on washed rind cheeses. So Amazing. That,
3: and it was yeah. a lot, was it? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, we're learning, yeah. We're learning so much, aren't there? you know, There's just so much to learn about the you know, bacteria. The use of bacteria in cheese making is absolutely key, but we are, we, there's so much to learn about it, isn't there? So.
4: Yeah, I mean, I had faith. I thought it's there. And it, it, it was incredibly simple. Just you need to catch it young before anything else grows and just wash the top side of the cheese flip it wash the other side the following day say and then it gets going and then you then it's 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 quite a uniform rind, a, a distinct flavour. So it's it's pretty, it, it was pretty foolproof. So I was very excited about <laughs> discovering that.
3: Well, I think you've certainly played, played your part in in introducing sort of washed rind cheese into the British sort of repertoire because there's a cheese that people may well know that Jimmy Montgomery makes called Shield. Tell us the story of Shield, Bill. because that you uh, were seminal?
4: <laughs> yeah, well, it, I, it was a cheese called Shield originally. So Mm -hmm. it was a green cheese, it was quite hard, Um, and it was made by a couple of Americans, I can't remember their name. They got a grant to come and make cheese, and they worked in the Alps and they worked at Jamie's. And um, they made um, Shields, which was like a Tom de Montagne, I guess, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were selling it in the shop in Covent Garden at Nilsia Dairy. And it was very close to Montgomery's. And if people tried it, they'd say, oh, I'll have Montgomery. So it, <laughs> it was difficult to sell. And Randolph asked me if I had any, any ideas. And I thought, why don't we introduce the kind of uh, a, a raclette style cheese? So, so that would be washing the rind and washing the curds. So, so two lots of washing.
3: Right. Ah, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So... So then he talked to Jamie Montgomery and um, Jamie said, yeah, why don't you come and do a cheese make one day? So I got a recipe together and went down to Jamie's farm and was in charge of the cheese room for a day, just making Mm. cheese from the Jersey milk. But the other amazing thing was that I had lunch with Mrs. Montgomery while I was there and uh, while she was alive. So it's been a while now, anyway. it was a huge table. I mean, it must have been about 10 meters long, and the two of us were sitting on one end. And um, she was... I, I asked her about the cows, and she said, yes, we, we had one cow in in, in the beginning, milk for the house, as most people have a Jersey cow just for the, mm, the house. For the milk. Yes. But, but she got very keen on breeding Jersey cows, so now they have 150 Jersey cows. <laughs> and it, it seems like... Uh, yeah, it's a bit too much of the house, so, and it's going into the rest of the milk with the, that's being picked up. So it, it's a pity, and they wanted to make something out of it. So that's what they've been trying to make, and that's why Ogleshield Shield came about. They were interested in making something to bring out to the use value. To the jersey,
3: yeah, jersey, yeah. Jersey. And then
4: Jersey so rich and creamy, so it, it does. Yeah seemed to go well with the uh, wash rind and, and wash...
3: Ogle, so Ogle Shield, your, your surname, Bill, is Oglethorpe, so it was a, it's a tribute to you, isn't it, the, that name then, Ogle Shield? Yeah, that was your a joke cheese.
4: to start with. It was, because <laughs> people were saying I was ogleising everything, because I was washing, you know, I don't know, wigmores, gefilis, everything. Yeah, other mm. St James, most probably. But, yeah. so they were saying I was ogleising everything. And I remember having to come up with, we needed a label on the cheese, of the new shield, mm-hmm. the washed shield. The, and yep. washed shield didn't sound very good. No, it doesn't, no. So, yeah. so someone thought, why do we call it Ogle Shield? And so, oh that's got a, a little bit of a ring to it. It
3: does. But... It's a good name. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So that's that's wonderful. And is that and you one of the things you do, Bill, as well as you make cheese yourself in Bermondsey, but you also you're very famous. People may well have gone to Borough Market and tried either your raclette or your amazing cheese sandwiches. Is is Ogle Shield one of the cheeses that you use in your in these dishes
4: yes yeah yeah yeah. so i mean we were just using ogle shield and montgomery's cheddar the ogle shield was for raclette and we had some of the wastage was mixed in with the sandwich so i mean the whole project started to solve a wastage problem i
5: guess Uh yeah
4: so because there was such amazing montgomery's that was cracked and blue and no one was buying it so we grated it and it went into the sandwich. It was just incredible cheese.
3: Yes, I mean, absolutely right. I mean, Gourmet, yeah, you, you got an accolade, didn't you, from Miss Reichel, who, you know, he totally knows the food. The, so the American food critics say, say well, it was the best. Either the best sandwich or the best cheese sandwich. I'm not
4: quite sure. Oh, the best one. thing she had in London. She was doing a, a special issue on London. Yeah. I mean, it was just one sentence in the in the editorial. And I, I, I couldn't believe the impact it had. <laughs> yeah,
3: when someone like that says something like that, it can be quite amazing. So
4: please. Yeah, yeah.
3: Now, Jamie Montgomery is making the Ogle Shield, isn't he? You don't make the Oh, yeah. More. No, I think yeah. it's
4: gone off yeah. slightly. I mean, yeah, he's made improvements, <laughs> yeah, it's no same. doubt. Yeah.
3: And what do yeah. you, so tell me, are you still washing cheeses yourself then?
4: Oh, yes. Yeah, we, we're we making uh, London Raclette. There's a lot of confusion now about London Raclette, Ogle Shield and then now we've introduced a new one called Oglethorpe. Which is, oh, okay. yes.
3: <laughs> which is
4: an extra mature London raclette. You know, right. the ones we select to keep for six months oh, wonderful. that, we, that, that so, we really like, yeah.
3: Okay, I'll tell us, so what, yeah, I was going to ask, what is the, diff- so that, that longer time, what, what oh, happens in that longer period?
4: Well, if they're really good, then they become amazing uh, with a bit of time. So n- normally we cook them at three months, mm-hmm. three, four months is a good age. And, and it's mainly because the rind is still alive and pink. Mm-hmm. And pungent and t- and flavoursome, where if you go past three four months, then it starts going a darker brown and it's less lively. Then you're more into the territory of hard cheese, sort of more internal maturing and ripening.
3: Right. And, and so, so with these old, so the ones you're picking to mature, them for six months, and then so what happens to those then? They 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 dry oh, up they are less dry. for
4: cooking. We don't cook them. Yeah, we we yeah. sell them as cut for cheese boards and things like that. Right. So. So it kind of coincides with Christmas because generally uh, May, <coughs> say May, June, July, the cheeses are amazing because the, the the cows are on grass all the time, hundred percent on grass. Mm. So so the milk's amazing. They they kind of in the middle of their lactation. So. So it's just a a kind of a harmonious time, (laughs) I guess one could say, or calm and everything's stable.
3: And your your working day as a cheesemaker in London starts very early, doesn't it? Because you have to go and you have to drive to collect your milk. So what time do you get up and head down? This
4: this morning I went actually just to get milk for yoghurt because we're not making cheese. But yeah, um, four. I get up at four. Okay. And then get there for 5.20. So it takes just over an hour, about an hour. Mm-hmm. And then, I, it means I've got I can help them bring the cows in, and they can start milking. And uh, leave by six, six fifteen, say, and then I'm back back at the dairy by seven thirty, say, before Brilliant. before the traffic. Gosh,
3: and then and then that, and you work with that milk then and there that morning. Then is that how it? Oh comes? yeah,
4: so yeah, we can pick yeah. it up warm. The great advantage is that they've got a tap just before the. um, plate cooler so I can put the milk in a churn with a diversion tap mm-hmm. and that means the milk's warm straight from Lovely. the milking parlor into oh, the churn brilliant. and yeah so I don't it saves a lot of time and then the starter culture's in there um I have a maximum of two hours to get to the dairy which is totally doable yeah good <laughs> so that's um before and if you take more than two hours then you have to pasteurize or so, right If you, um, because technically I'm not in the cheese room, but I'm ripening the milk in the churns in the van. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. That's a
3: really good use of that travelling time, then, in a way, isn't it? So you're, it's part of the, become part of the process. Yeah.
4: I'm making the milk work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Excellent. It's very efficient. So how long does the the washing stage with the cheese, is it done sort of once a, for your cheese, is it done once a week or once a day, or does it sort of, does it change as over the, if the time yeah,
4: came. I mean, ideally, if we've got time, I, I would wash them every day for the first three or four days, and then after that, weekly.
3: Right, and because that you've already, been, you've established the bacterial community that you want, and then you're sort of sustaining it. Yeah, Is that yeah. How it goes? yeah.
4: I've, I've discovered it's worth the effort in the beginning just to do a little bit more. Because right. it, can, it saves a lot of work later on. It's like it's a thing. A stitch in time saves nine, eh, as they say.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And what I mean, perhaps, just describe for us what 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 does your cheese taste like? I mean, uh, you know, apart from I understand you're using it in a raclette, but just if you just ate it, mm. you know, on a cheese board, what 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 would it, what would the texture be like, and what would it
4: you mean, smell the, and taste like? Yeah. The London raclette. Yeah. 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 I've so well, I've been discussing with people, and they, it's it's. The it's kind of sophisticated in a sense, in the way it's f- fermented. It's got a nice, it's almost like a, a Swiss kind of flavor, mm-hmm. more than the Ogle Shield. It's, and uh, it's got the savouriness and the wash-drying pungency. Comes, but and maybe the hint of a kind of a caramelly flavour, sounding so,
3: delicious. That's a very uh, good description, Bill.
4: Okay, <laughs> I mean, I that's, so much, it, yes. that's the yeah. ones I like. <laughs>
3: yeah, well, that's you know, yeah, perfect, brilliant. Listen, Bill, that was lovely. Thank you so much. It was, it was really great to have you on the show because I know you've really played your part in Britain's you know, washed rind cheese. Well, so.
4: yeah, no, I was just keen. I mean, it was so much fun, and and Randolph obviously was the great facilitator. Yeah, I mean, yeah. behind all that, and then, so so
3: it? many. Absolutely, I'll say many things. So and now it's quite a thing, isn't it? Because people you know, Neils and do wash cheese and sort of change them, don't they? You've got the St Jude and the St Sarah. One is one's the washed rhine version of you know, St is the washed rhine version of St Jude, yeah. isn't it? So yeah you obviously set you set a pattern there, Bill. So uh, yeah. Brilliant I listen, so, thank yeah. you. <laughs>
4: okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was lovely to talk to you. Thanks yeah, for coming no, on it's the been show. great. Thank, thank you very Take much. Take care, Bill. Bye bye. Okay. Bye.
2: Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again,
1: this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers.
3: This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're looking at washed rind cheese and I'm thrilled to have with me all the way from Ireland, Jana Ferguson of Good Bean Cheese Dairy. Lovely to have you on the programme and I really Thank wanted you. to have those... West Cork washed rind cheeses represented Absolutely. on the show. Yeah, yeah, so tell me the, the story. How did you, you... You were one of the very early sort of pioneering cheesemakers yes. in Ireland. When did you start right. making cheese?
5: Well, I was trying to remember. Back in the fog <laughs> of time, I, it was the 70s, can you believe? We were wow. beginning to tick away wow. with it. And I'd already met the wonderful Veronica Steele, who was really the visionary... Mm. and who influenced me tremendously via my good friend Jeffa Gill from Durris Cheese.
4: Oh. So
5: there we were all washing our rinds in West Wonderful. Cork in, in a sort of... Um, it, it, it was more of a, a fact of the climate we lived in. It wasn't so much that we had this idea that West Cork was going to be wash rinds, but we did live in this very damp uh, Atlantic coastal world. Where things grew on the rinds and one washed them with salt and water to keep it, you know, perfect. Right. And, and these wonderful things grew. <laughs> Brilliant. I
3: mean, that's yeah. such a yes. So, I mean, all cheese making does involve, you know, working, with, you know, encouraging the bacteria that you want to grow in your, your environment. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But this seems very as you say, that wonderful uh, sort of trilogy of. Of you know, it's Malines and Doris and Gabin, isn't it? And it, which yes, is, you know, at, absolutely at that my... time there we yeah. were. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And did you? So what was it like? How did you learn to make cheese? And you know, was, was it from was it from Veronica or, or did you get guidance well, from her? Or?
5: No, actually, it goes back to my childhood. My father was a writer and he lived on a little mountain in Andalusia and down in the south of Spain. And, he, and we had a few goats and, in fact, a little bit of surplus milk used to appear now and again. And cheese was always made, because surplus of anything. Nothing is wasted mm. um, on those little farms. And I learnt a sort of very basic, very fundamental cheese making, little crottin kind of Goaty things, mm-hmm. and then the big breakthrough for me was via Veronica um, and Jeffa, who introduced me to rennet. Now this totally revolutionised the way I understood cheesemaking because, of course, it meant we could make harder, firmer cheeses that we could store, and ah. this was tremendous. Yeah, ren- rennet is is revolutionary. <laughs>
3: Yes. As opposed to maker. acid. Yes. that's, so, that's As a very opposed good to just
5: acidification. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. So then you have cheeses that that are aging and then it's sort of then what yes. do you do with them? Is that become was that part of the process then?
5: It, it was part of the process. It was part of the understanding that we wanted them to last longer and to be, um, you know, this winter food as well. Um But it was, as I say, very much a climatic thing, living on an Atlantic shore line where everything was quite damp and quite humid. Mm -hmm. And so were our cheeses. And these, first of all, lovely little sort of white tufty bits of candida would grow. Um, But then without being too <laughs> specific about it, we started to see Brevibacterium linens, which is this lovely orangey pink, rather smelly little um, little fungi, I suppose, that grows on the rinds and gives a lovely flavour. Right. And we noticed this happening. And, uh-huh. and then we were, off we went, washing our rinds. And so the washing
3: allows this brevi bacterium that you want to the brewer's bacterium linens to to thrive then in that environment to
5: thrive and to grow evenly. The washing really was to even out the rind, so it looked lovely, really. Ah, beautiful. But you know, it was a natural part of our our environment, you could say. And well, in fact, fascinatingly, without being too sort of bugsy about it. We uh, we had friends in laboratories who were trying to analyze and work out what was going on around. So they found totally unique um, growths, one of which we were thrilled, was called Gabinense. It had never been identified <laughs> before. So there I am. I have a bug named after us. That's a quite a compliment
3: in the world of cheese, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's very satisfying. And had yeah. me a little bit more about the, the, the washing. Is that, how do, is it done sort of daily or and does, it, does it shift yeah. to weekly as the cheese ages? You, you,
5: yes, you, you mustn't imagine a pair of jeans being dunked in a bucket now. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) We've got our our cheeses in very, very specific environments. You know, hygiene being key to everything because you're feeding people. Um, And and what you're doing is sort of maintaining a nice, even salinity and acidity on the rinds. So you can rather like growing a pasture, you can be sure what will what will germinate Mm. and develop. Right. That's what we were doing. So a little damp hand rubbing um, across the rind of a damp cheese, just smearing. You see, it's it's in German, I, I think, forgive my German, Smearkase. It, it, ah, it's a smearing. Oh cheese. That's, that's interesting. Yes. That's such and a good point, it br- yes. It breaks open the little spore and more seeds appear. And that's how you Ah,
3: okay. That's that's really. I hadn't <laughs> thought about the actual contact. I'd always thought that you're making the environment because the the you know the brine gets rid of, you know, the bacteria you don't want and allows that's the right. bacteria you do want. Yeah. And ah, oh, how fascinating! It was yes, really, it really it wonderful well. <laughs> watching your you know, that this, this sort of magic passage of time. The uniqueness, and, yes. yes. It must have been really <gasps> wonderful watching, especially in the early days when you were making this new cheese. And how did people react to it when you took it? How did you sell it first? Did you take it to markets or? Well, how did we sell it? That?
5: I think people were a, a bit astonished by the smell. I yeah. think the, these were the first smellies that were appearing. Yes. You know, the world, <laughs> it, the world is full of cheddar. And yes. lovely, polite little white bloom cheeses. And then <laughs> along came these stinkers, who, uh, funnily enough, it, 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 it's my feeling that the smellier the cheese, the more subtle flavor of the paste of the cheese strangely that's a
3: very good point <laughs> abs- it's funny cuz my my mother's from singapore and you see we have a fruit called durian which has got this which durian. is sort of famous it's infamous because you know it's banned on airlines <laughs> very and i also literally my analogy is to people and i'm trying to persuade them i, to try, I say well like, yeah it is it's so pungent but i say look it's like a, i say you know you don't think of a peach or pear think of a washed rind cheese i said the smell is much more is much more powerful than the taste yes, and the taste is much. delicious and it's got a lovely voluptuous texture it's which so again they, Makes yeah. me think of washed rind cheeses. You know that, that suppleness that they have. Um, yeah, um, you
5: know really they are good. unique, aren't <laughs> so, they? They stand out. Yeah,
3: yeah, they really do. And you're so people were sort of shocked but, but brave enough to try these smelly cheeses. Then you oh, very be much in. so.
5: <laughs> well, chefs and, and and the greedies, who are my favourite people, um, are always going to try <laughs> something, uh, and try something new. And yeah. so we were slowly thank goodness we grew very slowly because I think that's how you establish quality and understanding of what you're doing so it was a very slow development mm. and mostly into restaurants at first yeah but I think we coincided with the development of small farmers markets in this area Uh, which were, yeah, hugely important. And Mm. um, people, you could talk to your customers, you can give them samples. And I think this was very, very important.
3: Yeah, I mean, these, that absolutely it's funny, on, on these series of programmes, I'm bringing on a lot of cheesemongers and people who sell, because actually, you know, it's that point of, oh, it's yes. not just the makers, it's who gets that product to market and how do you yes. counter cheese? And absolutely. actually, you know, yes, yeah, someone who could get the, the chance to buy it. I mean, that is a really fundamental thing. You know, for, well,
5: it was wonderful. Yeah. We, we had you know, strangers turning up, wandering down our avenue here in the west coast of Ireland from as far away as Michigan, <clears throat> There's a lovely man wow. called Harry Vines, oh, Vinespike, Harry yes. he's very
3: got, um, famous. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. He's written and a wonderful um, book. It's brilliant. Yeah. yes,
5: yeah. And then of course Randolph from Neil's Yard. They'd all just appear, oh, and we'd sit around brilliant. and talk cheese. And that's really how it developed for us. The mountain came to Mohammed, you
3: know. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant that you were making something and yeah. people were hunting you out and bringing it. I must, I have to tell you a story because a friend of mine, it was her birthday and I knew that she loved the smelly cheeses. So I went to a museum dairy <laughs> and I bought yeah. her some gubine and I gave her, the, oh. we, were, this, we were sort of mums in a playground, and I gave her a present in the morning and said, oh, happy birthday. And then I saw her the next day, and she roared a laughter and said, "Oh, I took your present, <laughs> oh, but I put no. it in the hall." And then, oh, and she was waiting no. to open. And then all day long, she's thinking, "What's the smell? I was smelling. Was t- washing t- the hall. Oh, it's dreadful! Absolutely dreadful! Oh, it was, it was cheese from Jenny. <laughs> that was it.
5: So I know. I, I remember yeah. journeys with with children and cheeses in the car, and you'd open the window. Uh, say customs, and they'd rush you through because they, <laughs> yes. they didn't want to know what the smell was. Yeah, how funny!
3: So, yeah. and have you? So in these years, you know, if you started in the seventies, and now here we are talking yeah. in twenty twenty one, and Charlie, yeah, your your family, I presume, are, are involved in the. The cheese, the whole cheese production. Oh, yeah. how yes, wonderful. Everything.
5: Yes. Well, the milk is our own and always will be, I hope. Um, we'll never, I, I don't see us ever wanting to get bigger than our herd's milk right, grown lovely. on our lovely pasture, lovely salty pasture. Yes. Um, and our children all have um, a, a great belief in an understanding of the artisan food world, which for me was still something of a of a of a concept really. For them mm. it's a reality which is marvellous.
3: That's and such uh, a good point. Yeah. That the, that shift in attitudes, you know, over the <gasps> over the decades. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's actually and it's it's very viable, isn't it? Because you know, they're now, you know, and West Cork there's the Cork sort of scene, isn't there, you know, in terms of there restaurants is. and and yeah. a pride in, in food producers. Which yes. you're very much part of, aren't you? Which must be very well. Satisfying, I'm very,
5: very, oh, hugely. Um, you know, the identity of West Cork and food is something we're very proud of, and people will travel, especially Europeans. You know, on tourism mm. uh, trips around, they'll come here to find cheeses and lovely, unique local foods. Great. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, Ireland is a food, a food country. Wonderful. Very, I mean, good. very a, proud yes. of that. Yes.
3: And'm I'm, I'm not surprised. it must be very, very satisfying. Do cheese mongers take them on and then ripen them on, or, or do they do on the ones
5: yes, no, the ones who really know their stuff, and there are lots of them out there now because mm. this is what makes cheese mongering so exciting. But just to use Leo's yard as an example, they are so skilled at what they do they'll open up the cheese, put it on racks, and ripen them on and on until. You know, they feel it tastes perfect, but uh, equally, you'll find other shops that will just keep them for a week or two. Uh, yeah. Some people like them young, some people like them absolutely, you know, buzzing. And yes. either way is right. Either way is right. Food—it's it, about your own taste, really. I totally I agree. It's like... so subjective, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yes, they know how to roll. Yes, and it's that wonderful enough.
3: thing that that cheese—you know—cheese is this living thing and it's changing. And that's yeah. the sort of joy of it isn't it so you've got that
5: well yes oh, you make it sound like a, a scary sort of uh, little animal but it, <laughs> it is a living thing <laughs> when you've got a rind like ours, it absolutely is a living thing and has to be sort of uh kept at the right temperature and kept very clean and you know managed yes managed yes. That's, that's there's all so that
3: bad. there's a lot of care in the world of artisan cheese and that's what i yeah. you know there's the care of the maker and the care of the the manga if they they are doing if they're maturing it and bringing it on and there's just a lot of TLC behind the scenes, <laughs> yes.
5: isn't there? So. I'm afraid you have to be committed. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah. to and be credited. It.
3: So, did you have sort of a moment, you know, in the early days when you were making it and you must have been tasting it? Did you think, mm. oh, wow, I love it? Like, did you have that sort of moment of, I is. love this? Yeah. Is that what you
5: did? that well, happen to you? You do. It, it's a very intimate process. And, you know, if you're making a cheese, as it starts to kind of develop and get its own character, and you're beginning to understand understand. understand the controls of acidity formation and so on. You do, you suddenly arrive one day at your cheese, you know it. Mm. And then the game is to repeat it and to keep it. This is before pH meters and wonderful things appeared in our lives. We were so lucky. We have um, University College Cork is incredibly open and supportive of all us food producers, not just cheesemakers, uh-huh. yep. but we had Professor Daly in, in UCC giving us so much support with, mm. you know, how, how to maintain um, uh, consistencies. And then there was Professor Fox in Chagos, who was teaching us the game. You, you have to keep learning. And if you don't, I think, you know, it just becomes a bit of a chore. It's fabulous yeah. to learn. About microbiology and you know yes. all of this is, is such it's another world and very interesting world.
3: Yeah, wonderful. Oh well, Jana, I mean, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so Thank much you. for taking the time. I really wanted Loved you know it. being on the show. That was a joy. Thank oh, you. Take care, then. <laughs> That's lovely. Bye bye. Thank you, Jana. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop, enter the code SLICEOFCHEESE at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order.
2: Online, on smart speakers
1: and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's Mercado, Amazon, Petersyard.com and specialist food retailers.
3: Before we go on exploring the world of cheese, here's news of another Food FM programme that I think you'd really enjoy.
1: Thank you, Jenny. Well, I'm David, the host of The Drinking Hour here on Food FM. Each week, we explore the wonderful world of wine, spirits and beer, all things that make wonderful pairings with cheese, of course. We hear from those for whom making drinks is a passion. So after your cheese course, how about you join me for a few drinks? You can find The Drinking Hour with David Kermode on your usual podcast platform and at foodfmradio.com. Now it's back to Jenny and a slice of cheese.
3: Very happy to have with me today Penny Nagel and Marcus Ferguson of Feltham's Farm. Good morning, Penny. Good morning. How are you today? Very good. And I'm really intrigued by your story because you're very sort of um, new cheesemakers and you're making a cheese, that's getting a real, I mean, cheeses actually, getting a real buzz about them. But Renegade Monk was your first, the first cheese you came up with, I think. Is that right?
6: Yes, um, that's right. We were, in fact, our cheeses come, it's, uh, they're inspired by our travels. And we've always loved cheese and we love food. But Renegade Monk uh, came about because Marcus, my husband, who's the cheese brains of our partnership, um, was made redundant. And whilst he was kicking around wondering what to do, he went off, I said, why don't you go and do a cheese making course? So he went to River Cottage and did a one day cheese making course. And um, when he came back, we were talking about France and. We hadn't been to France for a while, and we said, "Why, God, why can't you get those amazing cheeses that you get in the south of France? Those rindwashed, kind of oozy, unctuous cheeses that just kind of feel like they've had—they've got—they've got so much flavour. Mm. And so that was the first test cheese that he made in in our kitchen in on the farm, um, and it went through several iterations and. Uh, But it was, it was, it really, you know, that's, that's how we work. We, you know, we talk about kind of things that we love and that we are inspired by. And because we have traveled a lot, it tends to be cheeses from our holidays. And then we come back to the heart of the Blackmore Vale in Somerset, which is where we are. And we make them with the best organic milk that you can find in the world, which is right here from the Godminster herd. So, um so yeah that's a wonderful
3: story and so when so when did you set up make when did you start making cheese then so this
6: so it was relative so we're we're, we're complete newbies we are five years ago wow Um, um, yes
3: and
6: and and the lovely part of it is that marcus is just this year so that was so we started 2016 and this year, Marcus has been invited back to teach that very same River Cottage one-day cheese making course, oh, which that's just brilliant. shows it, it just shows you can go from passionate cheese-eating amateur to full-on multi-award-winning professional and teach the course in five years.
3: <laughs> that is very inspiring. That is really and renegade monk. Which uh, tell me about. I love the name as well. I mean, it's, it's quite a it's a maverick cheese in a way, isn't it? Which I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So tell tell me about. Yeah. It's very unusual, isn't it? It's, it's not. And certainly not a traditional, it's something that you've, you know, you and Marcus have created, isn't it? Tell me a little bit more about the yeah. name and, and the inspiration. I know you've talked about being inspired by those washed iron cheeses, but it's not a classic washed rye cheese either, is it? No, and that's
6: why Ned Palmer in his book, A Cheesemonger's History of the British Isles, called it the first postmodern cheese, because <laughs> what we did, which I know is quite confusing, when you kind of go, oh, what does that mean? And, we th- and, and the way we've interpreted it is because no sane monk or person would wash a cheese in alcohol, which effectively eats and matures the cheese from the outside, but also include a touch of blue on the inside, which matures it and keeps the, the the process going from the inside. So effectively, you're ah, it's you're, a double whammy putting,
3: then, yeah, yeah,
6: and that's why it's it's a particularly um, tricky and and kind of potentially combustible combination. Um, mm. But actually, I think after after five years, we've got it. So the consistency—it's consistently good. But certainly in those early days, there were some issues with, you know, it would just well, almost explode with flavour.
3: Yeah, I mean that—that's so, so. it's quite small, but sort of packed. It's a it's a soft blue rind washed
6: cheese, washed in organic ale from Stroud Brewery because we're fully certified organic and what we how, the way we make it is it's um so it's pasteurized milk because it's it's a, quite volatile in that sense that you know it's our EHO certainly wouldn't pass a, a washed cheese that's also be, got blue in it mm-hmm. um and is soft and we wash the cheeses every couple of days for about uh, a fortnight and then they mature and so they're ready after four weeks um, but it has a lovely it should have a sweet nutty lovely taste that rolls around your mouth so most people expect it to taste a bit like a, it looks like a brie or a camembert mm. but with a slightly kind of br- uh, orangey browny kind of um exterior um right. but at its best it oozes from the middle and then and then yes has this kind of lovely sweet aftertaste
3: uh, and do you taste the it. blueing or not, does that does that impact the Yeah it's lady? not
6: it's not a strong blue, but it definitely, yes, it has, yeah, there's a
3: kind of slight minerality to it. And I was interested in this, I mean, it's so unusual and it sounds absolutely fascinating. And so what did Marcus experiment with washing it, you know, because brine is often the traditional... Uh, you yeah, yeah. What's lots of washed rind cheeses are washed with brine. So, what what led him down the the boozy, the boozy route then? Yeah. Well,
6: this and this is actually where the naming kind of comes from. Is rind washing is something that um, is a tradition that monks used to use in the Middle Ages, going forwards, and just to kind of make. Possibly to make life more exciting, you know. There's long winter nights, and all you had to eat was cheese and a bit of bread. Um, you'd mm. do what you could to make the cheese taste more interesting, and so they they would traditionally wash um, cheeses in uh, cognac, or mm. yes, brine. Um, and we experimented with uh, versions of those, and in fact, for this one, we also did one in stout. Oh. Uh, and we just it was just the ale added a kind of lo- a more flowery note to it. Um, the start was quite, uh, it, it was quite a, quite a marmite strong umami taste, which we liked, and lots of people liked, but it's it's a strong enough cheese anyway, we didn't want to add too many barriers for people. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the naming of the cheese actually came out of that process. And lots of people had said to us, well, why didn't you name it after where you are? Uh, but we're on a funny marsh in between Wincanton and Temple Coon called Horsington Marsh, and we're like, well, that doesn't really sound like a very attractive cheese. Um, (laughs) But we have a lovely friend in New Zealand (laughs) who 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 actually worked for a a big branding agency, and she gave us a couple of sessions, uh, called Rosie Wolford, a couple of sessions online, just about kind of brand essence and how you, and, and it's all about kind of authenticity and your brand ethics and who you are, because it will apply not just to this cheese, but to the other cheeses we make. And what came out of these sessions is that we love cheeseboard drama we love um we love that kind of bringing flavors and tastes in from our travels and 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 our you know what the world around us that we that we see and we're also doing things differently because we're not traditional cheesemakers who've had a farm for centuries and making in the same process with an old recipe we are totally new to the business mm. new to farming you know so we can we can play with that form and so renegade was is yeah. that part and monk is the the washed rind. Uh, and that also is a, a nod to the fact that the land that Horsington Marsh we um we farm on is used to be part of the Knights Templar land uh out of Temple Coombe. So oh. they were the original renegade monks in
3: yes, you know, from very nice. you know, the thirteenth yeah. century. That's a great name, isn't it? So it's yes, touches on yeah. lots of Lots of things. So, I mean, then, say so tell me. So, you're taking this very unusual cheese out to market. What sort of? Did Did you take it to to farmers markets? And and oh yeah, you know, yeah. And how did it go? Yes. How would that, Were people suspicious or were they open minded or you know? Because wash cheese cheeses can be quite challenging because they are the sort of the smellier side of the cheese world, aren't they? So.
6: Oh yes. I mean, we learned very quickly in our market selling days because you stand at a market from kind of 8.30 in the morning to describe this as not a breakfast cheese to those punters (laughs) who came up to us at kind of nine o'clock full of hope and just said, this is something you need to drink with, eat with wine and and ale. And yeah, those first years we were kind of basically, we were making cheese in the week and I I was still working my old job um, and then selling cheese at markets at weekend. And that's how we, that's how we built business brilliant um, we've got a following. and we've got a following but, some, but we also realize where the cheese works so the cheese does not work in areas unless you basically need p- to have people who love fine w- food and fine wine uh-huh. uh or good food and so it depends you know and they're pockets of those people but so somerset somerset definitely has those pockets south somerset mm-hmm. particularly now where we are is you know you've got this happy triangle of bruton castle Cary, sherborne and Tisbury, and you know there are a lot of f- food lovers around here now, mm. um, and some fantastic restaurants who supported us right from the get-go. Um, so mm. the Roth Bar and Grill uh, have, were amazing, um, and as were you know, so they just kind of stocked us. They served us for to the judges at the Great Taste Award in 2017 at their kind of celebratory dinner, and and they that really kicked us off because a lot suddenly a lot of people who judge cheese were tasting our cheese.
3: Yeah, um, brilliant. Yeah. It must be very. I mean, it's wonderful because you have been, it's been very rewarding, is not it? You've had all these accolades, you've won all these awards. That must be a sort of wonderful feeling for this adventure, this cheese adventure you've set off on. <laughs> it's all the better because we are in our 50s and, you know, it came
6: out of adversity, it came out of redundancy. Mm. Um, and that, um, you know, we wouldn't be doing this if markets hadn't been made redundant. And actually, it's a lovely feeling to can go. actually you you know life life can be really brilliant uh even out of you know when things don't seem to be going so well you know it does if you follow your passion actually things some it's some it will feel good it, it feels right
3: yeah and obviously the cheese has found you know there is a lot of a lovely sort of buzz about it and it's now available you know cheesemongers are sending on they i mean you're, you're reaching a, an audience outside somerset aren't you a sort of national audience
6: Yes. Um, yeah. So we've got um, some amazing partners who've supported us all the way through. COVID has been slightly odd, I think, for all cheesemakers. Mm. But we, um, because what, as soon as lockdown, that first lockdown happened, we were about to be left with several thousand soft cheeses, which were about to go out of date in eight weeks.
3: Yeah.
6: And wow. nobody knew how, Nobody knew what to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I literally, I remember calling around some of our normal wholesalers for hospitality and whatever, and, and they just said, you know, we can't do anything. Everyone's yeah. being furloughed. This is it. Yes. And, but luckily a few, so the fine cheese company were amazing and stepped in and they realized that soft cheese makers were going to have a real problem. So they supported us and White Lake and a couple of others who oh, they brilliant. knew had these very volatile cheeses. Yes. Um And so they kept they kept the backbone of our business going. And then we just picked up the phone and started just calling. We'd just been registered organic that in february as well so we just started calling organic shops delis farm shops and and actually that was very rewarding because it's it's enabled us to have a direct relationship with a lot of retailers. Even though we might the business might now go back through a wholesaler, mm-hmm. the retailer will call us up and say, Oh, I've seen you've got a new cheese. Can you send me a sample? Or we send yeah. a sample. But you know, so it's so you've made it's relationships
3: a re- in a way, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Out of that's, adversity it, again. Yes. I mean it's yes, and that's a very important thing to bring up. The cheese make you know, life been writing about cheese a long time and I wrote about what was happening to the cheesemakers you know in lockdown the crisis it was a crisis mm. and then I've mm. been catching up with them and, and what's really interesting is they've all said to me that they found new markets you know new ways to market because mm. lots of people went online themselves or sold directly or sold the community in a different way or you knocked on doors or did it through mm. the, you know milk delivery um mm. but it's <laughs> so they're all sort of feeling there's a real resilience it's very impressive isn't it I mean you know yeah. it's like yeah. hats off to you all. well done so and have oh, you well thank what, you yeah, well one last question. So this cheese world, you know that before you had been cheese consumers and now you're cheese makers. Have you so you must be meeting other cheese makers and ch- cheese mongers. Is is that what's that been like finding your a way into the British cheese community?
6: Amazing. Uh cheese it, it, independent cheesemakers are some of the friendliest most open Open-minded people we've met. Uh, when Marcus, so when Marcus had done his cheese course, uh, he then looked for che- uh, work experience, uh, and had that extraordinary time where you call people up and say, "Actually, I'm you know late forties, you know I've got a degree, <laughs> degree in history. I've been working in social media, but you know <laughs> would you consider taking me on as an assistant cheesemaker?" And mm. they opened their arms. So. Um, Hugh oh. from Bath Soft Cheese was wonderful. I mean, he said, you're going to be, you know, this is not right for you. And Mark said, but look, I want to make, he, we, everyone's very honest and said, look, I want yeah. to set up my own business, but I need to actually learn how, you know, yeah. some of yes. how you do it rather than just in my front room. And, um, so yeah, that's, uh, you know, I think as long as you're honest and direct, people are very open-hearted about everything. Why do you think um, the British, should,
3: yes, there's a lot of, you know, as you say, there's something I've met and talk to so many people in the British cheese world and there are lots of remarkably nice people I find you know yeah. making and selling cheese in in Britain it's yeah. one of the things that's always drawn me yeah. towards it actually as yeah so um, it's lovely to hear that you've you've experienced that yourself then oh, totally. in a very I mean to yeah. the ex-
6: to, to the extent that we now have people I mean we now have kind of both cheese wholesalers and, and customers coming up they come up to the farm so we've now started to do cheese experiences here on the farm just because people mm. are so interested and open mm. in the process.
3: Marcus, hi, Jenny. Very nice. I was just hearing Penny's been telling you your, your amazing cheese journey. Um, and I wanted, well, I was really, this episode is actually literally looking at washed rind cheeses. And and I wanted to have you on because I'm so interested in what you're doing, which sounds so, you know, different and um, and, and renegade. So, I mean, you've said perhaps, and then we've pretty covered the ground slightly with Penny, but perhaps we'll just go back and just say, what what was your, sure. ins, what, what inspired you to make a washed rind cheese? Why were you drawn towards that that cheese style?
0: Um, I love strong, stinky cheeses. Um, (laughs) uh, We're surrounded by some of the greatest cheddar makers in the world, um, Montgomery's, Keynes, Westcombe. Um, There was no point in me trying to compete with them, trying to make a cheddar. Um, So I knew I wanted to make something entirely different, uh, something inspired by uh, my foreign travels, my experience of cheese in, in France. Um, I love a pois, um, and then I needed to give it a twist. I, I, I'm not really interested in just following a recipe out of a book. Um, so I started with a, with a basic camembert recipe and swapped out some of the cultures, the, the, the bloomy white culture, uh, for a geotrichum candidum culture, which gives it that sort of wrinkly brain effect. Mm. Um, and then I thought, well, what, what else can I do to this? Um, I'm going to throw some blue in there.
3: Um,
0: <laughs> what, what else can I do? I'm going to wash it in, in alcohol. Um, and so I experimented washing in, in bitter and in stout. Um, and the stout was very interesting. It was it was much more um, yeasty. Uh, oh, wow. But we did lots of split testing, A-B testing, and we found that it was about 50-50 of, of people who like the ale wash and people who like the stout wash. But the stout wash people were also happy with the ale wash, whereas the ale wash found the stout wash a bit too much. Oh, that's interesting. Right. Quite practical, yes. Quite practical, um, you know, testing the market. So we we went with the ale wash and thought at one stage that we'd do the stout wash as a a Christmas special. Yeah. um, But we never have. Um, well, you've they're exhausted. <laughs> we could, <laughs> well, we if, could,
3: Yes, I mean it's interesting. I suppose the joy, you know, so because you're making a small soft cheese, you've got the chance to actually see what's happening. You haven't tied up your all your milk, you know, all your money for months and months and months. Uh, that. Absolutely,
0: and, and and that was definitely a consideration. Um, also, that you you can sell the results that much more quickly. You're not you're not tying all that milk up for months on end with a with a hard cheese. Yeah. Um. And and with experiments, you don't have to wait, you know, six months for, for to a year to find out if it's actually worked properly. Yeah. Um. So so we were able to to do lots of variations of the recipe. Um. Quite early on, my son, my older son, who must have been eight at the time, uh, decided he wanted to do a batch that he washed in whiskey. Um. Highly inappropriate, mm. but um, <laughs> uh, which was rather good. Um. You know. But yeah. but as you say, we you can get the results very fast.
3: Wonderful. I mean. And it just sounds like, you know, you so you're obviously really enjoying, you obviously enjoyed cheese before you started making it. And then it must be very rewarding to actually be making your own cheese and not only making it, but then having people buy it, enjoy it and then win prizes for it. So this is sort of a wonderful <laughs> journey.
0: It's 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 extraordinary, and it's it's um we refer to it as a, a midlife crisis that seems to be going in the right direction. Yeah, I feel I feel more complete than I than I ever have doing any other job. That I, I'm creating something from scratch. It feels like a a, a genuine job, and then you mm-hmm. get the satisfaction of seeing people respond to it. Um, and I always thought I'd hate selling at markets, that I'm not a people person, and I'd just rather be in in the in the back room as it were yeah uh, but actually getting that that face to face contact which is we've missed in the last 18 months but mm. seeing people taste this cheese which i think is very different to what most people experience in Britain, mm-hmm. and seeing their reactions. I mean, sometimes they're in shock, and it's it's, it's too <laughs> too much for them. Um, but yeah. some people are just going, "Wow, I've I, I have not tasted a cheese like that since." You know, I was in Burgundy or or something yeah. like that, and that's 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 validation.
3: Yeah, wonderful, and and I'm guessing, and presumably, chefs and restaurants have sort of embraced your or been interested in your cheese as well then?
0: Yes. Um, I mean, it's, it is it is a Marmite cheese. I can't lie. It is it is it is yeah. powerful. Um, and some restaurants have, have taken it for a bit. The chef loves it. And sometimes it's a bit too much for, for a cheese board. I mean, cheese boards in restaurants are are funny beasts because they, they can never really guarantee how much cheese they're, they're going to sell. They have to get the cheese out of the fridge, you know, a couple of hours yes. in advance and then it's ruined, you know, and so yeah. unless it's yeah. something that's going to sell all the time, um, yeah. they, they can be wary. But there are, you know, braver chefs out there. Um, who who definitely support us and, and some some restaurants have been with us right from the beginning
3: and what was there a moment Marcus of you know of, of sort of indication, or you know you ex, this sort of experiment and then try and then did you was there a bit you made and you thought gosh that is good you know did you did you have that sort of a wonderful eureka moment
0: uh yes well the first one i I've, I've sort of felt it was it was acceptable to actually taste it so At this stage, I wasn't doing any lab testing, Um, and it was uh, I was was maturing them in a in a a fridge that is sort of half broken, um, which gave me the right temperature, about twelve degrees, to uh, to (laughs) to, to mature it. Um, And I was doing tiny tiny little cheeses, and and one of these batches came out, and it was bright orange with these specks of blue in it um, and it had a blue um, in, in, inside as well which Renegade Mug yes. does not have nowadays um, uh-huh. but we sat right. down to eat it it was a friend and me and Penny decided not, not to eat any of it just in case we poisoned ourselves and she had to drive us to hospital um, <laughs> and we demolished it it was it was absolutely delicious um, and that was after uh, probably only about six weeks of experiments so, so it would have been a, a batch that I'd made two weeks in um, so I, I think I hit on this lucky combination quite early on uh, but that was making it in my kitchen yeah. and I was already in the process of building my first cheese room and when you go from a kitchen into a cheese room it's a completely different environment and I then had sure. to reinvent the whole cheese all over again but but that, yeah. that first sampling uh was was incredibly exciting um and then our first award um so we we won the gold for uh best soft cheese at the global cheese awards in Froome uh within six months of of starting production um Wonderful. and that was thrilling
3: yeah that that must have been what well, it was very exciting so i mean it, it's so interesting, isn't it? The British cheese scene has a real variety to it because, you know, you have the the traditional cheeses that we made, but there are all these you know creative cheesemakers making new cheeses and bringing them on. And it's it's lovely that you're, you know, and they seem very receptive. People seem very receptive to that, actually, I think, cheesemongers and the public.
0: I, th- I think so. And I think that's only grown during the pandemic. Um, and the pandemic saw us a wonderful flowering of, of lots of new cheeses, including our Fresca Margherites, which... Isn't a wash rind, so we don't need to talk about it. Um, but there, there was this this, this explosion of, of of cheese making, and the public more than ever wants to know where their food is coming from. I think I think those empty supermarket mm. shelves at the beginning made people really think: What is food's journey from from farm to fork? Um, where yeah. is it coming from? Why why are we beholden to uh, these huge chains? Can I can I grow my own food? Can I buy food direct from the producer? Um, and long may that continue.
3: Absolutely. Well, brilliant. Well, this Marcus and Penny, it's been really lovely to talk to you. I think it's a wonderful story. It's a very sort of affirmative and exciting story. So, so thank you for taking the time to come and talk to us You're about it.
0: Very welcome. Well, thank you. We enjoyed talking to you.
2: Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again. This is
1: Food FM. Savor the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon petersyard.com and specialist food retailers
3: on a slice of cheese this week we're looking at washed rind cheeses those many cheeses that really stand out i'm very happy to have with me today dan bliss cheese buyer for paxton whitfield hello dan hi thank you so much for having me Well, I really wanted to sort of pick your brains, Dan, because, Mm. you know, I wondered if you could tell us a little about the history of washed rind cheeses. Of
7: course. Um, So there are some washed rind cheeses which date back to sort of 11th century, 12th century in their origins. But really the sort of the boom, if you will, of washed rind cheeses came about in the 16th century. And that's where we see cheeses like Époisse and Poin really sort of get their name and and become famous as cheeses that we know today hmm. by and large they are
3: located or, or start around northern france and into belgium as well that's interesting yeah i had that sort of thought that there was um that part of the world so what are some of these Am um, i always think they're connected to monasteries am i right there or wrong
7: um, yes, that's my
3: understanding as well, is
7: that by and large, washrine cheeses are sort of linked to monasteries. Um, generally, monasteries would be self-sufficient, so they would grow their own food, they would make cheese with their own animals, um, and they would also make their own alcohol. Mm. Now, this link is then twofold. Firstly, we know that alcohol and brining are really good ways of protecting foodstuffs pre-refrigeration. So washing of cheeses would really be about preventing those cheeses from cracking and letting in other nasty bacteria, but also the washing of cheeses gives them a meaty flavor profile. And we know that sort of monasteries in many cases or monks in many cases would avoid eating meat on certain holy days and therefore these washed-rind cheeses, these particularly savoury, umami-rich washed-rind cheeses, would be consumed as an alternative to meat stuffs, and that's sort of the link really there between between monasteries and
6: cheeses.
3: That's such a fascinating point. I hadn't thought of that. But of course, yes, all those fast days and you know very mm. restricted diet, and then you as you and you're right, that sort of savouriness of washed-rind cheeses is a wonderful way to sort of um, enliven your your menu, I suppose, if you're in a monastery. So. Yeah, brilliant. That's I love that. That's wonderful. And what are, tell us about some of the famous European washed rind cheeses. Are there some absolute sort of classics? So I think the one that most people would immediately think of would be Epoisse. From Burgundy,
7: it's by far one of those that on sort of the counter in German Street at and Whitfield people come in and ask for. It's, as I said, from Burgundy and is traditionally washed in a local alcohol mark de Burgoyne, which is the byproduct of the local brandy industry. And you often really see that link between washed rind cheeses being washed in their local alcohol. So in sort of northern France you might see it in byproduct of wine production and brandy production there's a famous cheese called Langres which is washed in marc de champagne it's made in the champagne region and therefore it's a byproduct of the local alcohol and sort of that goes hand in hand across uh, across the board even up to sort of the likes of in Normandy where you see cheeses that are washed in calvados
3: that's a really interesting point. And of course, I, you know, I know I asked you about European cheese, but that made me think of Stinking Bishop, which of course is Charles mm. Martell's. Charles was so much about rooting cheese to place, you know, it, reviving Gloucester cattle, reviving double Gloucester cheesemaking in order to use the milk of Gloucester cattle that he wanted to protect. And then also trying to protect these amazing apple and pear varieties that were vanishing in these. And so it's really interesting, isn't it? So it's like a wonderful sort of updated version of something that's been happening for, for centuries.
7: I think that's a really common theme actually within cheesemaking generally it's this idea of reviving recipes and it's definitely one we see in the story of ipwes so pre-world wars you're seeing sort of over 300 producers of ipwes or like farm-made ipwes cheeses and then as the story that we see again and again through cheese production a lot of cheesemakers and farmers went off to war a lot of these skills were lost or the recipes the knowledge of the recipes was lost um, and it actually took a cheesemaker called Berthaud to resurrect this farmhouse production of Époisse. Of um, and still today is one of the major producers of this fermier Berthaud. It wasn't actually until 1956 that they really went about the relaunching of Époisse mm. in the traditional method. Um, and we have a lot of, to thank for, to the likes of Bertol for really going out and, and trying to revive and recreate these cheeses.
3: That's really interesting to hear because obviously we tend to think, have a rather romantic vision that France has sort of held on to all its all its food traditions mm. and they've carried on and they never got industrialised or lost. And actually, and obviously in Britain, it's a very different story. And, and that's actually quite heartening and fascinating to hear that they that that's happened yeah Things have been revived and brought back, which is good, which is what, mm. we, yeah, what we want. I was hearing that about the Spanish cheesing too. So to go back to washed rind cheeses, mm. are they you know, within France, are they much more loved than within Britain? I I was wondering partly about your, you know, are people in Britain a little bit, they're not such a big part of our tradition, that's the sense I get. Am I I right or wrong in saying that?
7: Yeah, I think that'd be fair. I'd say sort of 10 years ago, from a cheesemonger's perspective, it was the one area of the British cheese range that I felt was lacking. It was the one that we really wanted sort of People to experiment with. Stinky Bishop was fantastic, but there weren't many more outside of that sort of arena. Whereas in France, there's a huge history of washed wine cheeses and into Belgium as well. So the likes of not only a poisse, but Pont L'Avec, Langres, um, Petit Livreau. Livreau is a particular favourite of mine. It's known as poor man's meat and it's actually oh. linked to the um, butter making industry in the area. So Livreau was made with skimmed milk those are much li- so less fatty cheese in yes. that respect and the washing of the cheese actually increases sort of that pungency and funkiness to actually increase the profile <laughs> in my opinion and sort of like it almost tricks your idea you think you're getting something really rich and fat and actually it's not all the funk comes from the washing.
3: That's really interesting isn't that clever so mm. yeah and so have you found are they now more British cheesemakers making wash rind cheeses, and are we becoming, and as, as your customers, becoming more familiar and sort of enjoying wash rind cheeses?
7: Oh yes, without a doubt. There's been a huge boom, I'd say, in British artisan washed-rind cheesemaking um, in the last few years at all. Sort of the likes of Baronet and Made Vale, Roll Right, all really sort of coming to the forefront and winning all the world, winning all
3: the awards on not only the UK but also on the world stage. Mm. Very exciting, and customers are are receptive for these for these cheeses because they. I'm guessing they are a little bit divisive, aren't they? They are more, that these they're more pronounced cheese because of that aroma that they have got, that strong aroma. Mm.
7: I think it's fair to say that they are stinky. Often I say their bark <laughs> is worse. Than the, their bark is worse than their bite. They live in a corner of our shops known as Stinky Corner, um, and there is actually sort of the ye smell breath of bacterium linens, which is said to occur on that sort of that rind of a cheese. Is is not unrelated to the mould that grows beneath uh, between your toes. So there is
5: definitely a link.
7: (laughs) I didn't want to know that, Dan. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I I don't know. I love the gross stuff. When we were, um, (laughs) but then you know they often taste so sweet and creamy that actually the the pungency becomes
3: you know secondary to the delicious flavour profile. That's very. that's a very good point mm. to make. Actually, the smell is so much more powerful, and actually, the flavour is often very subtle, isn't it? And uh, mm. and you have that very always often it, the texture to me seems to be supp- supple. Is the sort of word that comes to my mind when I think of washed rind cheeses, yeah. which is supple, very pudgy. Yes, yeah, I like it, and it's just a lovely. Mm. Yeah, it is a sort of. It seems to me that point about the um, that the monks made this sort of meaty cheese in a way. I was thinking there is a real satisfaction to the, the texture of washed rind cheese as well, isn't there?
7: Yes, without a doubt. And I think you often actually find those, that texture is really important. There are a lot of dishes like, say, tartiflette, where washed rind cheeses are used in the cooking, again, to sort of add that rich texture, that pudginess, that creaminess in, mm. into the dish. Um, so that would be using Rebluchon, which is the alpine washed rind. Um, there's an interesting story with reblochon, where reblochon comes from sort of to hold back to block, where the um, the producers would hold back some of the milk for themselves to make reblochon before sending the rest off to sort of the large cooperative cheese makers, um, and it was very much sort of an illicit farmhouse cheese, which then oh. um, gained
3: notoriety excellent that's because so it was a cheese they made for themselves and then
7: it yeah. became
3: it's sort of fame broke out I and mean, they had to start making it for, commercially
7: yeah and it's the same with the likes of vacheron Mondor, probably one of the most famous washed-rind cheeses that people crave every christmas it would that was linked to the production of the likes of comte in the winter months when there wasn't enough milk to make these huge wheels of comte because obviously in the winter months there's less yield from the cows the farmers would make these smaller, more quick to ripen, more quick to mature, Vacheron Mondor, um, and would eat and enjoy them themselves. And again,
3: popularity grew and grew and grew, and now there's a huge industry um, dedicated mm. to Vacheron Mondor. Um, yeah, and you see it much more in Britain now, isn't it? I mean, I think many people have... It is the most voluptuous cheese, isn't it? I, um, I, mm. I was lucky enough to go to an event with a, a Swiss... Cheesemaker, and he—it was such a wonderful Vacheron that he brought, and you know, I practically wanted to dive in it. You know, it was that good. It was so, so, delicious. and it was funny because then someone in the in the audience asked, "Do you make any half-fat cheeses?" And he practically fainted with horror and just said, <laughs> with absolute fervor, "He said, but the fat is the flavour And then he said, "If you yes. want half-fat, just eat it every other day." Which <laughs> seemed like such a good solution to that. <laughs>
7: so, oh, I love that. In the yeah. run-up, in the run-up run to Vacheron's. Season because, it, like I said, it's, it's a very short season in that respect. Um, I don't like them going up to the counters until they're ripe. I think it's there's nothing more disappointing than an underripe Vacheron, in mm. my opinion. Um, so we have these sort of tasting sessions every morning that become known as Vacheron breakfasts, where we sit <laughs> and we, we crack into a new one to see how ripe they
3: are. And I've been known to polish off a whole one at my desk before 10 a.m. You are in the right job, Dan. What can I say? It's like it's no. perfect. I mean <laughs> that's another point about this I was interested you brought up the joy of cooking with them. And so mm. they that texture's lovely, you know, they lend themselves to having something dipped into them, don't they? I mean, obviously yeah. you know, like new potatoes or, or a bit of bread or sort of crisp cracker. They've got again, that's that lovely thing of that the textural contrast that you're gonna get
7: and i think so many of them actually at room temperature can begin to take on that form you know a, a ripe poise is already lovely and runny that i wouldn't mm. recommend cooking in a uh, they are probably the most pungent of the group um when we were researching not that long ago for an academy of cheese class my colleague wrote to the cooperative of up- makers because there's this rumor that goes around the cheese industry that Uh, a is banned on french public transport or at least on the paris metro system and we wanted some cold hard facts behind this rumor and uh the reply we got was absolument pas of course you can take your poisse on um on public transport how else would you get it home but they also sent us some tips on the best ways to contain that smell um (laughs) and my two favorite were to wrap it in damp newspaper or a cabbage leaf (laughs)
3: <laughs> so oh, I just love th- that cabbage leaf dip. Yes, because <gasps> that's so sort of French. I'd mark it. You know, yes, I'll just get my damp cabbage leaf. Wonderful. That is brilliant, isn't it? I, I was thinking. Funny enough, I had. I was talking um, to lovely Jaina of 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 Ga Jaina Ferguson, mm. and I mentioned durian. You know, which is the fruit that's banned on in Southeast Asia on Singapore and public transport mm. because the smell is so carrying. And and I always compare when I'm trying to get people you think about durian, I sort of, I compare it to washed rind cheese because, you know, and it's like the point is in a way that the smell is so much stronger than the flavour. And actually, it's a really interesting, wonderful um, fruit. Mm. Brilliant.
7: No, I agree. Yeah, I think people can be a little bit scared of, of some of these cheeses in a way that they're maybe scared of durian and other stronger smelling foods. But actually, they, yeah, they well. have so much sweetness
3: about them. Yeah, well worth trying, isn't it? I think that's wonderful. Dan, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. That was It was really lovely to, to hear th- those insights. Thank you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.
3: Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you found this podcast. It would make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again.